with reaching and teaching ministries, the director of global training. Uh, he was our, our tour guide and uh, our instructor and co-teacher, and Scott is a dear brother. I hope he lives in Texas. I hope he can come up sometime. We can introduce you to Scott, but uh, he loves his local church, and he loves God's universal church, uh, and there's nothing I want more from a, a missionary than those two things. Uh, sometimes we'd be fo so focused on one that we can forget the other, and sometimes people kind of get burnt out on the local, and they're like, ah, universal. Let's just bounce around. But he was hungry to get back home, not just to be able to be with his wife and his family, uh, but to sit under his pastor. And so I'm really thankful for the ministry that, that Scott had. Uh, travels all over the world. Mid-August, he'll be going to Peru just to work at some of these training sites. He goes to try to develop those, uh, and then sometimes he's able to go and teach. So really, really thankful for his ministry. And then I mentioned we prayed for Pastor Miguel. Uh, he's the, the Belizean gentleman um, that my arm's around. Uh, he's uh, if not, not apostolic, not getting weird, uh, but he's the Paul of this network in southern Belize. He's the, he's the heartbeat of what's going on and seeking to encourage others and do those things. His dad was a pastor at the church that he now serves at, who passed away suddenly three years ago. And uh, Miguel went from pastoring a different church to pastoring this church. Uh, and he's the one, when he talks, asks a question, all eyes turn to him. You kind of can tell in the midst of a room, you know, who, who's everybody looking to? Uh, and Miguel is that brother here. And we ate meals at his house, um, his wife and some of the other ladies preparing food for us. It was wonderful. This is, uh, and then me, who cares? And this is Chris Wilson, uh, pastor at Salt Peter Community Church, where we just were with our uh, student boot camp. We had a great time with that as well, but uh, that's, that's for a little bit later. So we were, this was the team that traveled together. We flew down, uh, we drove across all the just different roads. They don't have police to, they have police, but they don't set up police in Belize to watch roads. They have speed limits, nobody really cares, except instead of police, they have speed humps. I didn't say bumps, I said humps. So imagine a sidewalk raised up to the height of a speed bump scattered across the road at random times. So you can drive as fast as you want, but if you don't watch for that speed hump, uh, your car is going to be in the mechanic shop uh, or your head's going to hit the roof. That happened to Chris a few times. I was not driving. Scott was. He apologized every time, uh, and then he would forget the next one because he would get talking and lose track of what was going on. This is why I was like, oh, I, li I really like Scott. Because uh, that's what I would have done if I was driving. So we went down, ministered together. The Lord answered uh, my prayers, just that he would unite us together. I knew Chris. We've been friends for a while. Never met Scott until we connected in the Atlanta airport, but the Lord really allowed us to knit together and to serve well, uh, just some godly men to be able to go down with. Uh, this is the church building that we just prayed for, San Ramon Baptist Church, uh, right off of the, the main road, Hummingbird. No, it was Southern Highway, off the Hummingbird Highway. Uh, beautiful building. The Lord gave us some wonderful, really hot, humid weather while we were down there. Uh, this is where our training was located. Pastor Miguel lives just down the road from this, where we walked for our meals. This is the inside of their church, uh, kind of like an oven <coughs> at the metal roof, uh, open windows, some weak fans, and a lot of handkerchiefs, uh, not to wave, but just to wipe dripping sweat off. It was uh, like the weather recently. It's kind of like, oh, it's like I'm back in Belize. That's wonderful. Uh, but we were able to meet here. We also were able to worship in churches just like this. I was in Santa Rosa Baptist Church up the road by a little bit on Sunday, but it looks very much like this, uh, some, some work that came down to build these. And so this is where we trained Wednesday evening, all day Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday. These are the pastors 
uh, and others that we got to minister alongside of. Chris and his church, Salt Peter, uh, brought down ESV study Bibles, some other study Bibles to, to give to these pastors just as a resource. And so these are the brothers that were there from the left. Uh, Brother Tomas, he and his wife came up from about two, two and a half hours away. I don't think that he's a pastor, but sort of considering what the Lord has for him ministry-wise, he's on that little pamphlet we passed out before I left. Chris, uh, Brother Isabel is a pastor. He's kind of in the back. Uh, the brother in the striped shirt here, actually the, the man in the striped shirt, is a neighbor of Pastor Miguel's who he's just been talking to about the Bible. He's Roman Catholic. And he was just like, oh, what, what? You know, we're having training this week. Uh, some, some gringos, it's an, it's an endearing term, not an insulting term. Uh, some gringos are coming down from America that's going to teach us about the Bible. Do you want to come? He's like, yeah, I'll come. And he was just, just eating it up. And he's sitting there, just, uh, they were all were just eager students of God's word. And he would look down and every so often he'd kind of look up and he'd have this big, huge smile on his face. It was like the Lord was drawing him to himself. Um, good questions about the difference between his Catholic, Roman Catholic tradition and what was going on at this church. And he's like, nobody's ever taught me like this before. He's like, brother, come on over. Uh, Pastor Miguel's in the back right underneath the cross is Brother Diego. There's me. Uh, Pastor Federico in Maya Milpan Baptist Church, about 30 miles south of here. That's where Chris ministered on Sunday morning. Brother David is, if, if Miguel is Paul, David's Timothy, uh, 31, 32 years old. Uh, first, first brother that we got to meet, he's, he is a lot of fun. We had a great time just with him. He kind of picked up on our weird jokes and started lobbing them back at us. We weren't like joking about them. We were just merciless to each other, and he just jumped right in. Um, wonderful family. We'll be praying for him, and I'll show that picture another time. And then uh, Brother Galacio is a deacon at Brother David's church, and then Scott in the corner. So these were, uh, there's a couple other guys that came and went at some different times, um, like the random drunk guy that I met outside and just started asking me questions about the Trinity and why I believe in the eternal sonship of Jesus. And then he was like, man, I wish I was sober. This would be a lot easier to follow. <laughs> I was just like, well, then come back tomorrow sober and we'll talk. Uh, unfortunately, he did not. Um, got to pray with him. We talked for a while. And, uh, and I wonder if, if he just sort of woke up, hung over the next day, and was like, man, I had this weird dream about this gringo. I don't know, but you pray, you can pray for him. Uh, everybody wants to see these kind of pictures. That's a, those are, that's a bull of chicken feet uh, right here. That was Pastor Miguel's portion. He prefers chicken feet, but the one up in the corner, you probably can't see, but there is a chicken foot. That was my bowl, and yes, I did eat it and didn't even blanch that, right? We talked about this. Where's Ruth? Is Ruth here? Okay, but we talked about it before. It's just like, what are you going to eat? And I was just like, I just walked in. I was like, whatever's put in front of me, I am eating. And I was like, chicken foot? Then I'm eating the chicken foot. It's like, this is delicious. Thank you so much. So we were in this uh, thatch roof hut where the fire was uh, still burning. Uh, so that was even more of an oven. And it was really hot. And we're sitting down eating like boiling hot broth and chicken and hot rice and drinking hot coffee and hot cocoa. And it's like, oh, man, just, and they're like, you want to put some peppers on this? They're like, yeah, yeah, I do for the gospel. This is great. Uh, obligatory picture of me with a bunch of cute kids. This is Timothy in the front. Um, some of Pastor Miguel's kids and then uh, Pastor David's, one of Pastor David's daughters in the, the, what is that, teal shirt in the back. And then just some other cousins. But I was just like, oh, I don't get to see my kids. I get to hang out with your kids. So there's that picture. And then uh, Scott didn't want me to show this picture, but this is the closest that we got to Mayan ruins. It's not real. Uh, it's just a tourist trap, and we were tourists, so I don't know if you can see the guy at the top. His tongue is out, so is mine. 
And Leanne's like, why are you showing that picture? I was like, because they know me. <laughs> Did you expect me to do anything different than to look like an idiot at a tourist picture? Uh, it was amazing, right? There are a couple different passages. I remember, I don't know if you listened to the sermon that Pastor Justin from Salyersville gave from 2 Timothy chapter 2, right? The things that you have learned, passed on to faithful men who will teach others also. And he's like, this is what we're doing. Um, sadly, the, the missionary where there's, there's been, a, there's an Baptist association that's been in Belize for over 200 years, which just blew my mind. I'd love to know the history, Lord willing, I'd be able to figure out what that is. In Belize City and beyond, these churches have been around for a while where we were down in southern Belize in the jungle. Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of bench building and a lot of church painting that's happened. And Pastor Miguel just sat down and talked about missionaries that kind of came through and didn't really want to connect with them, sort of wanted to do the project, take the pictures, and then go back home. Uh, and he said that he's even asked, will you please teach me the Bible? And I don't understand, but somehow they said, like, no. They're like, oh, that's not what we're here to do. It's like, then why did you go? Right? And so there's this, like, Right, five days, I'm now an expert on missions in Belize, but uh, let's dial that back a little bit. But it's just like, that's just what they wanted. They were just like, yeah, we're the pastors here, and we just need somebody to come and teach us the Bible so we can teach other people the Bible. And then that's what we were able to do, and we ate in their house. And that just reminds me of like 2nd and 3rd John. Got to teach through that a little bit on Saturday morning. And 2nd John is just talking about, right, light of Christ and love for one another um, fellowship that we have with God, fellowship with truth rather than antichrist, it's all these different things. And in 2 John, he's like, hey, if somebody comes, they don't teach you the true gospel, don't even let them into your house, right? Don't host them, don't feed them, don't let them sleep there, send them away. And then in 3 John, it's like, kind of says the opposite. Hey, there's some guys coming, and this, this guy who wants to be first is refusing them, don't let him refuse them, right? You welcome them. And so I just said to them, you know, thank you that you welcomed us literally into your home to feed us and to fellowship together. This is what is happening here in 2nd and 3rd John. I also got to teach in Philippians and, and enjoyed, love, always loved Philippians. If you remember in Philippians, there's a couple guys that Paul focuses on, like Timothy and also Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was the messenger that went from Philippi to Rome, probably, where Paul was in prison. Uh, and the journey made him sick, really sick. He almost died. And so we needed to have our own experience like that. So on the plane ride back, uh, Chris had started feeling sick. And then from Atlanta to Belize City, only about a three and a half hour flight, about an hour, hour and a half into that, uh, he got up to grab some water, came back, sat down, handed me the water, said, I don't feel good, I think I'm going to pass out. And then he did on the plane right next to me on the seat. I had to pin him back to the seat. He's just out like a light. So that was interesting. And then they did the whole like page any medical personnel, and this RN who had been an army, uh, army medic and now is an RN in an ER, and she's the boss. Uh, no, I wouldn't mess around with her anywhere. There's a little, but who cares? <clears throat> they had an IV on the plane uh, that they just hooked him up to a blood pressure cup, and they ran an IV that she rigged to, hot, to hang from the emergency, or the, uh, the overhead luggage compartment, mid-flight, over the, over the Gulf of Mexico. Um, they thought we were going to have to land, emergency, so I'm praying, I'm trying to get on the Wi-Fi to text some people to be in prayer for Chris. We did not have to land there, he did not have to go to the hospital in Atlanta, but I did get to push him around on a, in a wheelchair uh, throughout the airport, and it took him a little while, but he's doing a lot better. We got, got him home by God's grace. So I was like, Epaphroditus, right? Like, you took this trip for the sake of the gospel, almost died? Um, but the Lord protected us even in that, and I'm thankful for it, but just a dear brother... Um, as many got to 
to meet him at Salt Peter. This is Chris. Uh, he's a pastor, he's an undertaker, embalmer, deputy coroner, and a race car driver. I think he has more hours in a week than everybody else does, but on last Saturday night, I think Keith told on us, or Jeremy, somebody, uh, this is 11 o'clock last Saturday night, and we had an hour and a half drive back to the church, and then we got up for worship, and everybody totally stayed awake when I was teaching that morning. Uh, if you want to know more about our boot camp, then you need to talk to... Lucas, Coda, or April, you can talk to Elise or Juliet, you talk to Isaiah or Ellie when they get back, Jenna and Jaden. I don't, Naramore's here today, they out of town. Well, catch them, ask them what happened other than just the racetrack, because it's like Sunday morning, hey, what have you guys enjoyed? A lot of teaching, all these different things, and they're like, racetrack, that was so awesome. They're like, well, okay, that was fun. Wonderful, uh, wonderful trips, good to be home, good to be back with you. And now we can get into our sermon. <laughs> Let's pray to do so. Father, thank you for, thank you for your work uh, around our state, uh, around our country, around the world. Thank you for the privilege of being able to serve in these other places. Thank you for Risen King Church, this, this place, this body, where you have called us to come and to serve and to worship. May you be glorified in our time in your word today. Amen. A few weeks ago, Keith mentioned that the New Testament contains a lot of different images for the church. I don't remember the number that he said from that book. And he's led us through two of those images, right? The first week back at early July, feels like a lifetime ago, we looked at Ephesians 1 and we said, hey, you know, the church uh, is, a, is a sanctified people, right? It's, it's this, almost like a project that the Father, Son, and Spirit are worked to, to make us saints from the Father's work uh, in calling us to himself, choosing us and calling us in love the Son's work in accomplishing that redemption and the Spirit's work is the down payment of our inheritance. And then Keith, two weeks ago, said, you know, God is our Father, so we as a church are His family together. <clears throat> what does that look like? Where do we fall short? How do our own experiences with family impact what that image means and living that out together? Then last week, he said, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ is our groom. He's our husband. So we as a church are His bride together. We're eagerly awaiting his return. We're not just here, but we're waiting for that day when our groom, our husband, comes to take him to himself, that we can be with him forever. And this morning, I want to look at another image that God gives us to understand who or what we are as a church. That's really the series, what is the church, or who are we as a church? And according to the teaching of the New Testament, we as a church are a body together. We said that. I probably have said it a couple times today, right? Our church body. We might say our church family. Uh, we also often just say our, our body. We're the body of Christ. And sometimes we have a, a common word that gets kind of pigeonholed into, oh yeah, the, just the church people, and we can miss what that image is actually communicating. So whether you've thought about it before or not, when he says body, he's thinking, of, right, an image like we each have our own body. Uh, and a body is made up of various body parts, right? A head, uh, shoulders, knees, and toes, uh, knees and toes, eyes, and ears, and mouth, and a nose, right? And the same is true of the body of Christ. It is made up of various parts, or what the New Testament calls, you know what the word is? Members. And we think about members as, as like uh, a member, right, a, a, an individual who joins an organization. 
Uh, kind of the words sort of morphed into that. But here, where the different texts that talk about being members of the body, it's talking about body parts. I think the ESV even has that as a footnote. So we can't lose track of body and members and just be like, oh, yeah, individuals who have joined an organization. Like, no, functioning parts of a body. And each of these members, each of these body parts has a role, plays a part in the life of the body. And one of the ways that the Bible talks about uh, the different roles that we play, one of the ways that the Bible talks about the different uses that each body part has uh, is with this, this idea of spiritual gifts. And when we think spiritual, a lot of times we can just be like, oh, as opposed to physical. But a lot of times when the New Testament is talking about that, we can almost capitalize that with a capital S, which means it's not just talking about like uh, non-material, but actually talking about gifts that come from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And that's what we mean here, that every body part has a gift, every member has a gift by the Holy Spirit so that we are equipped to be a a serving body. That's what the church is. The church is a serving body equipped by the Holy Spirit to do that. Here's my big idea. Every Christian is gifted by the Holy Spirit to glorify God by ministering in their local church body. Every Christian is gifted by the Holy Spirit, to glorify God by ministering in their local body. Every Christian, not just special Christians. Some people, in thinking about gifts, they think it's like, oh, that's like varsity. I'm just sort of JV, or maybe I'm just sort of on the bench. This is for somebody else who's equipped to serve. Uh, Maybe it's just the pastors. Maybe it's just the deacons, somebody who has this office. It's for a special Christian. Maybe like you, you have to, you know, we, we talk about like maturing. Uh, maybe when you're just sort of a preschool Christian, you don't have that gift yet. You kind of have to grow up a little bit and wait, have another experience. And then all of a sudden you get gifted and it jumps up. Like it's a subsequent thing to being called into the body of Christ. But that's not true. It's not special Christians. It's every Christian who's been gifted this way. And when we talk about spiritual gifts, maybe your mind immediately goes to spectacular gifts or miraculous gifts or, or important gifts. So you could go, right, this is, the, this is the error that the Corinthians went to, like the showy ones. And for them, that was just like, hey, who's speaking in tongues? Who's prophesying, right? Those are the ones that we all want so that the attention is drawn to us. And Paul spends a whole letter being, guys, it's not about you, right? And we'd be like, you know, so you might be like, oh, no, I'm not a charismatic, like away with that kind of stuff. It's like, we're not even really going to get into that today because I think we have our own error, which isn't just like the miraculous gifts, whether they exist or not, although we can get bogged into that. Uh, But like, what about the important gifts? Right? Like who leads? Who speaks? Who gives the most? Right? And then we want the attention on ourselves because we want the important gifts. And if we don't have the important ones, then we're just kind of like, well, maybe I'm not supposed to serve. I think that's the same error that the Corinthians were going into, even though the categories are different. It's like, if I don't have an important one that puts me up front where everybody can see, then maybe I'm just not, maybe I'm not gifted, or maybe I just shouldn't serve at all, right? This longing to be in front. And it's like, well, James says, right, the one who is in front talking the most has a (laughs) stricter judgment. So pray for me and be careful. But isn't just every Christian gifted by spectacular, miraculous, important gifts, 
And really to kind of go against that, uh, how they were viewing tongues and prophecy and those type of things and how we can view uh, speaking gifts and, and significance found in upfrontedness, these gifts are not given for our own glory. They're not given for our own praise and they're not given for our own fulfillment so that I can feel significant or I can feel important in the exercise of my gifts, recognized or satisfied in it. Right? It's not, they're not there so that we would feel good about it. Right? They're there for the glory of God, not for the glory of us. So if nobody knows, right? God knows. If it doesn't go the way that you want, right? that's under God's control. We are not, also, we're not gifted. So again, uh, every Christian gifted by the Holy Spirit to glorify God, not themselves, by ministering in their local church body. And here's another emphasis that I think is across the different texts that we're going to look at. The gifts that every Christian is equipped with, gifted by the Holy Spirit for the glory of God, is to be used in ministering in a local church context. I'd say that primarily, significantly, as we look at what the different texts say, written to individual local churches, we are not gifted by the Holy Spirit for service just out in the world. That's not the primary use of that. So, like, where does that? So I think, like, Galatians chapter 6, is like sometimes we're, we're blessed by God. There can even be a grace in having um, the opportunity to help other people, an excess of food, an excess of money, an excess of, of materials to be able to share. And Paul says, right, do good to everyone. Do you remember how he follows that up? Especially those of the household of faith. And I don't think that that's just believers broadly. I think it's believers specifically. So you've been equipped by the Holy Spirit as a Christian to use the gifts that he's given you in the service of this local church. Because you're here, and you're a part of it. So it's here. So it's not for the world first, right? Even in that context of Corinthians, the, the world could kind of look in. Unbelievers can see what's going on and know more about Christ. And even be, that could be used to draw them to the gospel. That's great. But it's not. It's like, well, I'm not going to be here using my gifts. I'm going to go there and use my gifts. And I'd say, like, I think that's out of order. That's not the first priority. And it's also not the first priority for that to be for the universal church. We confess from the Apostles' Creed. If you're not familiar with this, we really need to update the wording. Uh, Catholic church does not mean Roman Catholic church. Uh, it means universal church, right? All believers scattered across the world, whether that's in Belize or Fort Gay, West Virginia, here in Hurricane um, in Uganda, wherever, right? Christians across the world are that universal church. Our gifts by the Holy Spirit are not primarily for the service of the capital C church everywhere, not first, not primarily. Here is first. Here is primarily, which strikes me as terribly ironic that I haven't been here for two weeks, right? <laughs> Uh, but if I were to just bounce from church to church and constantly be going on those different trips and not serving here, something's out of order, which is what I was so thankful about Scott for, where he was just like, he'd, he talked about troubles that he had had at his church, uh, a pastor who was really just not serving faithfully, uh, and he's trying to figure out, like, how do I kind of go toe-to-toe with this and try to see this church shape? Do I need to leave? Do I serve? Led a prayer meeting and doing those things, uh, and then the Lord led that guy, to, like, booted that guy? And brought in someone who's faithful to the gospel and, and loves the local church. And so Scott, who serves at local churches around the world, is also like, but my heart's at my church. And I think it's Salado, Texas. And it's kind of like, wow, like that's good. 
right? He has gifts, he has opportunities to serve elsewhere, but he's also like, but my heart is with a body that I'm a part of. So we're gifted by the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, for right here, right now in this body. The Holy Spirit equipping us with these gifts is also not like the use of skills that you have and can accomplish things on your own. That's not what spiritual gifts are, right? A CEO, not know Christ, comes to Christ, is not just automatically qualified for leadership, may actually be unqualified for leadership, depending on how he would lead. So it's not, it's not just this, oh, these are the skills that I have out in the world, and now I'm just going to use those in the church. And it's really not anything that you're supposed to accomplish on your own at all. It could be very likely that the thing that you're best at, that you're like, oh, this is what I bring to the table at the church. This is what I bring to the body. If you're not seeing it in the context of what the Holy Spirit is doing through you, then you're not really accomplishing anything. It's what God does through his people, not what we do for God, apart from God. And we are constantly facing that temptation to just use our skills to do stuff on our own and calling it ministry. It's not necessarily ministry, and it's not necessarily glorifying to God. These are the kind of things that I want to think about. Let me repeat, every Christian gifted by the Holy Spirit to glorify God by ministering in their local church body. I want to walk through some different questions about that. Can you go to Romans chapter 12? Kind of like Keith said, we could just spend a lot of time in all these different passages. I'm going to uh, hit you with a number of different things. Hit sounds really harsh. Um, Walk you through a few different passages that you could look at on your own a little bit more detailed. But we'll see some questions from here. We'll read a lot of scripture for this. Romans chapter 12 to ask this question, because I said, you know, every Christian is gifted by the Holy Spirit, but then we could ask, well, it's like, well, where, do you, where is that in the text? Because we haven't actually looked at really a lot of Bible passages yet, so hopefully you're kind of like, your idea? God's idea. Romans chapter 12, who is gifted in the church? Starting in verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members or parts, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. But did you see, right, one body, many members, but each member by grace has received a gift. Actually, the word gift is a form of the word grace, and grace speaks of gift, we talk about that in relationship to salvation, right? You don't earn salvation. It is a gift given by grace, which is kind of redundant, right? Which is graced to you as a gift, which is given to you as a grace. Not earned, not paid back, graced to you. 
And so we see this aspect of giftedness for everyone among you to use that way, a gift graciously received from the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 brings in uh, the Holy Spirit aspect of that, uh, chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, the Spirit who gives those gifts. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each, how many? Some? No, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Every Christian has been gifted by the Holy Spirit to glorify God by ministering in their local church. So if you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, recognizing your own sin, understanding who Jesus is, understanding you have nothing to to commend yourself to God, all that you can bring is your own sinfulness, And what he brings is everything, the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Jesus, forgiveness for your sins. And you say, yes, I do. I want him and I want everything that he has to offer for me. And you believe that God raised him from the dead. You were saved and you were equipped by the Holy Spirit to glorify God by serving in the local church in which God has brought you. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What are these gifts? I don't know. uh, We haven't, I don't think I've preached aspects of this before. Um, Don't raise your hand because I'm going to kind of poke fun at these, so I just don't want to implicate anybody. Uh, But have you taken the spiritual gift tests? Just don't nod. Just stone-faced, okay? Kind of looking at all these different passages and being like, this is the exhaustive list. Find who you are, what you are. I find a more helpful passage than trying to compile all of those and be like, there are these 23, or whatever it is. Is 1 Peter chapter 4, can you turn there please? A lot of times it's Paul, Romans, or especially in Corinthians that are talking about spiritual gifts. Uh, But a few years ago, kind of recognizing this passage, um, this is more helpful in my mind. This helps my thinking about the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to us. 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm going to jump right into the middle of a passage here. Uh, I have preached kind of the whole context, so I'm not being dishonest, but we just don't have time for that. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 10. As, can you read it for me? As each, okay, has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Again, gift is, is a form of the word grace, so he's, he's tying that together again. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks, verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. How many categories of gifts do you see in this text? Did you count? Two. Okay, the first is speaking gifts. You see that? Whoever speaks. And then the second was what? Serving gifts. Okay, so we all, every Christian equipped by God, the Holy Spirit, glorify Him by ministering in the local church in two big categories speaking and serving. 
So I don't think that we have to dice it up into 23, 25, 50 different things and all just kind of try to recognize that. We can be like, hey, there are two ways in which God has equipped his people to glorify him by ministering in the local church. There are opportunities to speak. There are opportunities to serve. And thankfully, he tells us what to do, like how to function that. So, so if, if you are equipped by the Holy Spirit to glorify God by ministering in your local church via speaking, then he tells you what you're supposed to say. You're supposed to speak the oracles or the truth or the word of God. And if you have an opportunity to serve, it's not using the skill set that you, maybe you, you use on a daily basis at your home or at your workplace, right? But it's serving with the strength that God supplies. Are you going to speak? Speak God's word. Are you going to serve? Serve with God's strength. And, and, and our flesh will be like, but, but what about my words? And what about my strength? It's kind of like, yeah, it's not about either of those type of things, right? Because then you would be glorified. Then it would be about you and what you could accomplish. But the Holy Spirit doesn't care about you getting praise from one another for what you can do in the church. And he doesn't care about, about me in that way, right? Every one of us is supposed to be a display of what God is doing in us. So there's two categories of speaking and serving, but there's one Godward focus, a Godward focus of all gifts. Speak God's word, serve with God's strength. And then there's one goal that comes from that. One spirit equipping in two categories with one Godward focus for one goal, and it's the goal of everything always, and that goal is God's glory. Let's just try that again. One goal, always, and it is God's glory. That's what the text says, right? In order that when we speak, we have an opportunity to speak, we speak God's word, we have an opportunity to serve, it's with God's strength, then God is glorified, not us. To him be the glory. In everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. When we think about those spiritual gifts, we think about speaking and speaking God's word. I want to circle back to that in a little bit. You might be like, well, what about pastors? Peter, you speak an awful lot more than anybody else here. I do. Um, irony of God's grace that I've never, never been able to keep my mouth shut. So there can be overlap. Got in trouble. We are talking in rooms full of people and now called to speak rooms full of people. So there, is, there can be some overlap in that, right? It's not contrary to who you are in other spheres. It's just not a necessary correlation. Do you see the difference between that? Oh, I do this, therefore I will do this in the church. Then No. But it's just like, oh, I do this elsewhere, so I can't do this in the church. It's also not the case. So we just need to be open to those things. But what about pastors? That's Ephesians chapter 4. Can you turn there? Ephesians chapter 4 sort of answers the question about pastors. Paul's talking about the unity that we have as Christians in our local church and with the universal church. It talks about Christ's grace to us, grace that is given to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he talks about the gifts that Jesus Christ has given to his church and his churches, starting in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he, Christ, gave the apostles, 
the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, or pastors, teachers. Shepherd, pastor is the same word. Why? Why the apostles? And we have apostolic teaching for us in the word of God and prophetic teaching for us. The gospel has been proclaimed by evangelists to us. And then pastors have been given by Jesus Christ to his church and his churches for a reason. And it says it. He gave to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And it's just this default aspect of church life that is fed by uh, sinful, egotistical pastors. And I'm not just talking about somebody else. Like, I want everybody's attention on me. May God deliver me from that. And then there's, there can be a laziness on the part of God's people. And it's like, yeah, I do want him. I want that guy to minister. Right? Pastor's kind of like, yeah, I want the attention and praise. And you're just kind of like, yeah, I kind of don't want to have to do anything. And that's not, that's not who you are, right? But can we see, can we at least admit in churches there are tendencies like that? And when that guy is all about himself, that's the flameouts, Because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Right? Pastors will come and go. It's a Count Zinzendorf, cool name. Uh, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And I'm like, that sounds good. Because if, you know, if, if my name is on the door, the church, first church of Peter Ambler, it's just like, if you ever see that, don't come back. Or just kick me out. You come back, get somebody who will be faithful to Jesus here. But pastors are gift encouragers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This isn't necessarily novel, but you as a member of our church, a member of the body of Christ, one of those different body parts, you are the ministers of God to one another. And Keith and I, the other elders, right? As members, we have gifts that are exercised, but in, in an office that we have, it's supposed to be equipping the saints. Toward what end? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, again, that's not pastors, it's you and me, but right, us, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, body image, right? Christ is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So who's, right, humanly speaking, theologically speaking, the answer is Jesus, right? <laughs> every question. Uh, humanly speaking, who in this church is responsible for pursuing maturity among the believers. Who's, who's responsible to make sure that every believer becomes mature? And the answer is everyone. Right? It's not just me. Thank God it's not just me. It's every single one of you. And we can't become mature as individuals if we're not maturing as a body. 
That's, that's a big deal. And if we start to kind of isolate ourselves in that way to mature apart from the body, right? I think we can then mature in separation from the body, which actually isn't maturing, right? When you cast off those that are holding you back from growing into Christ-likeness so that you can become more Christ-like on your own, I say you actually are becoming less Christ-like because that's not what Christ did. It's not who he is. He does not act in distinction from building up the body. So we, we are not, right? It's not just that I'm it's like, oh, speaking, that's Peter, serving, that's us from, from 1 Peter 4. That's not the case. Every church member is tasked with the work of ministry. That's where the whole, like, are you in the ministry? <laughs> if somebody asks you, like, whatever your job is, it's like, yes, I'm in the ministry. Oh, and then you're kind of like, oh, like full-time ministry? Oh, no. Well, yes. <laughs> Just don't happen to be paid for it. And that ministry that you have been tasked with and are responsible for is the ministry of building up the body of Christ. And again, if you're more concerned with that body of Christ than you are with this body of Christ, I think that you're missing something. The goal of the ministry of every member of the church individually and together is church-wide Christ-likeness. And that goal can only be pursued if each part is working properly. That's why we can't just leave somebody off. That's why we can't just kind of push that and run our own course. So we could ask, you know, well, what gifts are most important? Kind of the fourth question or for the fourth text. And we ask that, right? I mean, we can be honest. Like, well, which are the important gifts? Which, which are the ones that we really can't do without? And when we ask which gifts are the most important, then we're going to be tying, I think we're tying gifts to members. And so when we ask which gifts are most important, we're really asking which members are most important. And then that takes us back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Please turn, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I know we're just, we're doing this touch and go with these different texts. I hope that you see the aspects of the themes. I'm not, um, I, I believe that I'm being faithful to what God's word is teaching. It just is a topical sermon, and I always feel like I have to say sorry for that. Which gifts are most important, or which members are most important? Well, let's, let, let's ask Paul. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. This is a longer portion, so I hope you're following along. Just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, right? That's the human analogy. Like you, you it's not like your fingers are somewhere else. <laughs> your legs are a different part of your house. The body is together. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. All were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member one part, but of many. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Right? Do you, do you see what the analogy is saying, right? 
You can't just be like, well, oh, my, oh, my foot, I've got to walk on that. And is this, I'm not a hand, so I guess I'm not part of the body. Like, yeah, you are. If the whole body were an eye, that'd be really weird. Wouldn't it? Mia, wouldn't that be weird if all it was, your whole body was just made up of eyeballs? That'd be super weird. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing, where would be the sense of hearing? Oh, okay, so ears, more important than eyes. So we all need to be ears. Well, if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Wait, so I'm not supposed to be eyes, must be ears, now we have like a whole nose thing? That's weird. But as it is, God arranged the members, the body parts, in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, a single body part, where would the body be? It would just be a collection of eyes or ears or noses. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seemed to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Don't push this illustration so far that you're like, am I the, imp- <laughs> the unpresentable part? <laughs> Sometimes you take the metaphor too far. Which are more presentable parts do not require, verse 24, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And then he goes on. So who's the most important part of the body? It's a trick question, right? Every member of the church body is significant. Every single part. So if you're a part of our body and you're not here and you're not serving, then the body lacks. And the body cannot grow to maturity if you aren't here exercising the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you to glorify God by ministering in this local church. It's not just it's like, well, as long as Peter's here. Like, well, I wasn't here and ministry happened, right? Everything. Lord takes me home tomorrow. Right? Hopefully you'll be sad, like at least a little bit, and then you'll move on. <laughs> We're all going to die someday. The body of Christ will continue. I am not more significant to this body than you are. Much as I would like to be because I'm incredibly vain and arrogant, and may God grant me repentance from those things. It's just not true. And the more that I would try to disconnect myself from you, the more I'm disconnecting myself from what Christ has for me. And I need you just like you need me. The neediest part may be the most significant part. Because then we can show the love of Christ for that part. Serving where we don't have the knowledge to be able to serve. Every Christian gifted by the Holy Spirit to glorify God by ministering in their local church, so I am talking about you. Like if, if you're thinking like, oh, that person. It's like, get that person out of your mind. It's not the primary target. You're the primary target. 
You, singular. Is he talking about me? Yes. <laughs> do I need to call you out by name? I think I can do it. You are an indispensably valuable part for the maturing of this local church into Christ-likeness. We cannot glorify Christ properly without you here and serving, without you here and speaking, serving with God's strength, speaking God's word. Sometimes when we think about spiritual gifts, and this is kind of my issue with the spiritual gift test thing, uh, that we start, to, we, we start thinking about ministry as, as gift-based. This is what I'm good at. This is what I will do. Find that place for me. I, that, that, in my mind, is a gift-based idea of ministry rather than a need-based idea of ministry. It's just kind of like, here are the needs that we have in the local church. And there's, there's aspects of like what happens in the gathering, folks downstairs in the nursery, somebody to play guitar, play piano, do those type of things, who's going to uh, count the offering, you know, who's going to mow the lawn. Sure, there's a lot of like those kind of ministry things. Uh, that's like just a fraction of it. But when we're like, well, this is what I'm good at, find the place for me where there are then five or ten different things that aren't being done that you could do. It's like, I don't enjoy that as much. So is it about your fulfillment? I don't know that I'm really good at it. It's like, I don't, I don't know what to speak. Speak God's word. I kind of feel weak for that. Serve with the strength that God supplies. Do you see the difference between a gift-based ministry and a need-based ministry? Like, just don't wait around to be like, just to kind of be created into that. Like, well, I'm here. As soon as, I tried to think of a ridiculous example, and I didn't, and a lot of examples I came, I was like, oh, maybe that's, like a way that somebody has served because it's very gifts. It's not just the 23. I'm making that number up. I don't remember what it is. But it's not just those tangible different things. There's a thousand ways that you could serve and a thousand different opportunities that you have to speak, not just the person who stands behind the pulpit, not just at a training hour class, but whatever opportunities, right? Which is like, I don't know what to say. Well, what should you say? You should say God's word. Whether it's, a, whether it's a group, whether it's couple to couple, whether it's an individual, you are equipped by God to speak his word to one another. And that is ministering according to God's grace for the maturing of this body. So you need to know God's word. You need to learn God's word so that you can speak God's word. It's like, I'm not really good at that ministry. And it's like, oh, perfect. Maybe it's actually better for us to have people who are bad at things. <laughs> Serving so that it's God's strength and not that person patting themselves on the back. So gift-based to need-based. And also, I think, similar to that, we can sometimes have a program-based view of ministry. What are the, what are the different tax, tasks? What are the categories? And this is the way I need it to be organized. I need the church to organize these type of things for my categories of gifts so that I can go serve that. And if there's not the, the program, then, then I, can't, I can't do that. I think we need to move away from, from program-based ministry. We need, like, organization. Peter, Keith, Fred, Jeremy, like, they need to organize these type of things from the top down to fill that type of thing in so that so then, then I can minister. Be like, let's move away from kind of program-based ministry and move into a person-based view of ministry. So it's not just like, with the categories, then that's how that person's reached. It's just like, no, it's just like, who are you going to minister God's grace to? Who can you serve and who can you speak to? 
because the Holy Spirit has equipped you as a member of the body of Christ to glorify him by ministering in the local church to speak God's truth and serve with God's strength one another. And you don't need to wait for me to tell you that that's okay. And even as I say that, like my organizational, right, is kind of like, oh my word, what am I talking about? It's like, that sounds chaotic. Like, well, right, God is the God of of order, Uh, but God's doing a whole lot more than just what I can think of. My favorite, I'm not saying it's God's favorite, okay? I'm not God, so I don't know what the evaluation is. My favorite ministry that has happened out from Risen King Church in the last year is all of you women that ministered to Ann Ashmus. I, I don't even know if I could have an accurate list of names if I were to spell it out as to who went. And yeah, there was some compensation for it. That's fine. It had nothing to do with pastoral leadership. It wasn't my idea, right? It didn't come from me. It didn't come from the elders at all. It came from a need-based view of ministry. And who was equipped for that? It's like everybody that went. Like, what did you need to do? Just go. And what could you talk about? You talk about God's word, because Anne was going to talk to you about God's word. Right? Do you see the beauty of that? Right? And it wasn't just like we were then highlighting. Like, we tried to highlight it because that's an amazing thing that happened. Age ranges from, what, 16 to, I'm not going to try to guess because I'll insult the people that were at that, the upper end of that age bracket, to just go and just sit and serve. I couldn't do that in the same way. I couldn't stay at Ann's house overnight to do that. This, this doesn't work. But many of you did. You see how that's, we didn't have a program. It wasn't just like, hey, let's organize the staying of people, right, of ladies in our church with widows. Let's have a sign-up. Let's have an organization. Let's see what happens, right? That just all kind of happened outside, but it was just built out of this church. It wasn't exclusive to it. That was a God-glorifying, Holy Spirit-equipped ministry that happened from here, and I praise the Lord for it. And it makes me the happiest that I had absolutely nothing to do with it because this isn't my church. It's Christ's church, and it's those kind of things. If we don't know each other, we won't know the needs. We don't have conversations. We can't speak God's word. So just like, so, but here's the thing. It's like, oh, that was cool. And then like our minds are like, oh, let's have a program to do that again. And it's just like, man, just let that go. We're not going to try to then organize the whatever out of that. Because right? that's kind of where good ministries go to die. <laughs> kind of like, well, let's streamline it. It's like, no, just go and serve. And if you're serving, oh, man. I haven't been in the pulpit in a long time here, so you've got to bear with me a little bit. In the different tangible serving-type things, little things, mowing the grass, right? it's like are you spiritually equipped to, to mow the grass? It's like, well, you're serving, and you're serving with the strength God supplies. It's a blessing to God. He's glorified in those type of things, and it's a good done to the body. So, yeah. That's ministering for the glory of God here. I'm good with that, right? Cleaning of the bathrooms uh, when we do those type of things, preparing um, the elements for the table like our deacons and their wives do, whatever those different things might be, chatting with one of the kids after the gathering, all this different stuff. If, you're, uh, if it's program-based or, or, or task-based, then we can miss opportunities to be people-based, but they don't have to be different categories. Um, I always ask my family's permission to tell stories because I don't want it to be like, hey, know everything about the Amblers. Um, 
but I didn't ask Glenn, but I'm going to talk about him anyway. And he's out there, and now he's mad at me. That's okay. Uh, Glenn loves to just stop by and do stuff here. This is who he is, and he just loves it. And you're like, well, that's kind of, that's not very significant, right? This is mechanical stuff, helped do my office, did stuff in here. Lowell does the same thing, number of brothers. But whether he knows it or not, uh, he's been gifted by the Holy Spirit in doing those things, not because he can fix plumbing or build a wall, but because every time he comes by the office, he checks in on me. And he encourages me. And that's not just him. So that's a ministry for God's glory in the body. Just on a Tuesday morning. Do you see? Because it's, it's just, so, so you take, we could take the, the things that we do, the tasks that have to be fulfilled, and I'll just be like, just as much as you can, just don't do it alone. Right? Wed the tasks with the people. And use those as opportunities to minister to one another. What should we talk about? Oh, you should speak God's word to each other. How should we serve with the strength that God provides? Perhaps, probably, you're thinking, I don't, I don't think I can do this. I'm not strong enough to serve others. I'm not smart enough to speak to others. But here's kind of bringing that all together, maybe, or at least bringing it to a conclusion. God is not glorified by us being strong or smart. God is glorified by us being weak and foolish, at least according to the world's standard. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So never forget this important theme from the Bible, front to back. God works through weak, humble people. He seems to delight in picking the least likely candidates for his most significant tasks. And he is glorified by the weak and the foolish and the few who depend on him, rather than by the smart, the wise, the mighty, the competent, the many who can do an awful lot without him. Like God is distant from that. Because when God chooses the weak and the few and the humble, the despised, and then he equips them, and then he uses them, then he is glorified in the service rather than us being glorified. Father, we do want our, our glory. Ah, forgive us and deliver us from that idolatry. This, this body, this family, it's not about us. It's about Jesus displaying his grace and his strength. And we would comfort one another with the comfort that you have received. When we, when we lack wisdom, may we speak your word. As we lack strength, may we serve with the strength that you have supplied. May we learn to depend on your spirit in that way. May you be glorified at Risen King Church now and until Christ returns. Amen.